let's turn again to John chapter 14. We are entitling this chapter, Jesus's Father Theology, because of the emphasis that Jesus will make in this chapter on the Father. Now, that's not exclusively what Jesus will emphasize or the perspective from which he will say all that he is saying. But it is a fundamental, it is the core emphasis of what Jesus is saying here. Now, when we get to chapter 15, he is going to emphasize himself. Chapter 16, the Holy Spirit, and yet he will speak of both the Father and the Holy Spirit in those chapters as well. But his core emphasis here relates to the Father and in some very significant ways. And we have been looking at this particular aspect of Jesus's in teaching. Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. But when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Jesus is in theology. We have been looking at Jesus making this emphasis that he is in the Father and the Father is in him. That the Father is living in him, doing his work. Jesus will go on to speak about his works and to tell his disciples that they will do even greater works than he is doing. But do you notice that everything again comes back to the Father. For Jesus, it is the Father living in him doing his work. Our capability of doing works will be because Jesus is going to the Father. If Jesus answers our prayers, it will be so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is Jesus's Father theology, as well as his in teaching. Look at this 11th verse. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Believe me when I say, or I tell you the truth, I am in the Father, 
The Father is in me. Jesus said something very similar in John chapter 10 and verse 38. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Now, when I read the words of Jesus, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. It seems to me that Jesus is further emphasizing what he has already significantly emphasized in the previous verse. And because of that, it gets my attention and it causes me to think, is Jesus wanting to make sure that we don't miss something that is really, really important? He has already said it. But now he says again, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So once again, we hear Jesus emphasizing this in principle. It's the second time that he is saying it. One verse after another. But this time, Jesus speaks it with an increased earnestness. Bruner, in his commentary, translates the way that Jesus is saying and the emphasis that he's using by translating it, please, please believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then notice as you look at this verse that Jesus followed that appeal of please, please believe what I'm saying with what seems like an almost final appeal or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Do you see what I sensed as I looked at these verses? When Jesus said what he did in verse 10, he wasn't finished saying it. It's as though he didn't think that the disciples had yet understood what he was saying, the gravity of what he had said. And so he needed to say it again with even more emphasis and more earnestness. Please, please believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And then we hear him saying, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. There is something that is so crucial in what Jesus is endeavoring to convey to his disciples. Now, there is also something else that we must not forget. Even as we hear Jesus' more earnest appeal, you and I must not forget that the Father 
is shaping the very expression of every word that Jesus speaks. Jesus has already told us that the words he is speaking are not his own words. And that is something that Jesus has emphasized to us a number of times. But when Jesus puts into his words here this earnest emphasis, it is the Father that is making that emphasis through Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 12 and verse 49, For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. And he ended what he was saying there with this sentence. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And so when Jesus said in verse 10 that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, and that it is the Father in him that is doing this work, and then he emphasizes it again with this last-ditch effort to get the disciples to understand. It is the Father telling him to speak these words yet again. It is the Father telling him to speak them with this emphasis, with this greater earnestness. I don't know if Jesus is demonstrative in the way that he's speaking, whether he emphasizes it by striking the table while he is speaking to his disciples or maybe clapping his hands. Believe me, believe me, please. When I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Nevertheless, it is quite obvious that Jesus is bringing a further emphasis to what he has already said. And when you and I continue to read through the remainder of chapter 14, 15, 16, again and again, we will see Jesus drawing what he will say into this truth. He's not simply saying this and moving on. He is laying a foundation and emphasizing to his disciples, you must believe this. Jesus will not let our focus stray from this principle. There's a crucialness in what he is saying to his disciples that demands repeated emphasis. And notice that even when he appeals to his disciples to believe on the basis of his works, it is for more than simply believing. Now, when Jesus made this statement, it is the third of three similar statements that Jesus has made. The first was in chapter 5 and verse 36. 
I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And then in chapter 10 and verse 38, which we referenced a moment ago. Do not believe in me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And then here in chapter 14. Believe me when I say, that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now, in each of these three verses, Jesus has emphasized works. The works that the Father has given me, the very works that I am doing. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. And here in chapter 14, at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Well, what are we to believe? Jesus has said to us here in chapter 14, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Notice how he emphasizes that here in chapter 10 and verse 38. Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Know and understand. The works are not an end in themselves. The works are to lead to belief, and yet it is not a shallow belief. It is not a mere mental assent. The goal is that it may bring us to know and understand this principle that Jesus has been stating, restating, emphasizing, re-emphasizing. And with a re-emphasis that carries a weight in its tone that stresses to the disciples that this is so crucial. Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now, we have looked at these statements of Jesus. We looked at this indivisible unity that exists between Jesus and the Father. We have come to understand that even though Jesus is co-equal with the Father, Sharing the same nature, the same essence, the same abilities, the same prerogatives. Yet he has laid those things aside. And he walks in surrender. He lives on obedience. He is fully submitted to the Father. He is here to reveal the Father. He is here to reveal and to accomplish the Father's will and the Father's works, 
the works the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing. Jesus is not here to project himself in any way. Jesus is here to do and to complete the work that the Father has given him to do. And it is in doing those works, the works that the Father has given to him, that Jesus himself is validated. Chapter 5, verse 36, they testify that the Father has sent me. The works testify that the Father is living in him, doing his work. And so Jesus is validated by the Father, and the Father does his work through Jesus. One validates the other. One reveals the other. And there can be no complete revelation, one apart from the other. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. And so if we want to understand the identity of Jesus, we have to look to the Father. If we want a revelation of the Father, we have to look to Jesus. The glory that Jesus has had with the Father from the very beginning will be restored to him. But as he prays in John chapter 13, it will be because he has completed the work that the Father has given to him to do. The two are inseparable. One brings the revelation of the other. And one makes the other exclusive. No one has seen God at any time. But the Son has made him known. In the same way, the Father sent the Son. And in sending the Son, he made Jesus exclusive. And so, to know and understand, to believe, to believe in Jesus is to believe that he is the singular and the ultimate revelation of the Father. That the Father is making only one revelation and one option available to humanity. That beyond Jesus, the Father has nothing else to say. Jesus did not come speaking his own words. He spoke the Father's words. And so beyond the words of Jesus, the Father has nothing else that he will say to humanity. When Jesus declares, no one comes to the Father except through me, he is not saying his own words. 
He is speaking the words of the one who sent him. And the works that Jesus does, those works are meant, he says here, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Oh, this is so important. It has implications for eternity. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand how important this believing truly is. Now, as Jesus continues, he is going to say something very astounding, emphatically telling his disciples that whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Isn't that an astounding statement? But again, Jesus is emphatic in saying that statement. I tell you the truth. He is emphatically speaking this to his disciples. The one who has faith in me will do the works that I have been doing. The works that the Father sent me to do. And they will do even greater things than these. And then Jesus will follow that statement with one that is even more astounding in its promise. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. But Jesus first wants his disciples to understand that this in principle is paramount. If we go back to Luke chapter 11, Jesus is sending out his disciples, not just the 12, but 72. And we read here that the 72 returned with joy from doing the work that Jesus sent them out to do. And this is what they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Wow. We went out, we preached in your name, and we did such unbelievable works in your name that even the demons submitted to us. We were able to exercise supernatural power over other supernatural beings. That's enough to make anyone say, wow, this is incredible. But what did Jesus say in response? He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
Jesus has sent his disciples out and they have done the most incredible and astounding works. That should be the greatest validation that they were sent by Jesus. And for them, there can be nothing that would validate their calling and their ministry in the name of Jesus than this fact that supernatural demonic spirits had to submit to them in the name of Jesus. And yet for Jesus, that wasn't the most significant thing. For he said to them, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At the end of his Sermon on the Mount, in his concluding remarks, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. He went on to say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus really wants to get his disciples' attention here with what he is saying. Before he moves on to tell them, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do greater things than these. Our inclination is to believe that the works are an ultimate validation. But that is not the perspective of Jesus. And when he appeals to the works, it's almost a last-ditch appeal. At least believe. And yet the belief comes back to Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The purpose of the works, as he said in John chapter 10, is to know and understand that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. It is sobering, and it should be alarming. To realize that at the time of judgment, there will be people who will have spent their lives declaring that Jesus is Lord. Who will have done miraculous and supernatural things in his name. They will have prophesied. They will have performed miracles, and they will have cast out demons. And yet Jesus will declare, I never knew you. You were never really in me, and I was never really in you.
Now, Jesus has connected belief and evidence or works. The one who truly believes in Jesus will have life evidence. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. There should be life evidence that is tangible, that is obvious. Faith and fruit are inseparable. James will declare that faith without works is a dead faith. It's meaningless. Jesus will also warn his disciples later on in the teaching that he is giving them tonight, this last night that he is with them before his death, that the Father will cut off every branch, quote, in him that does not bear fruit. Again, these are sobering words. In him that does not bear fruit. And yet, works in themselves, as we've already seen from Luke, are not conclusive evidence that someone has true faith in Jesus. From Matthew, that the one doing these works is truly in Jesus and known by Jesus. This in theology that Jesus is speaking to his disciples is to be experiential and it is to be authenticating. In Jesus, we are seeing the life of the Father expressed. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Likewise, our lives must reveal Jesus living in us, doing his work. As strangely as it may seem, it is possible for people to do works in the name of Jesus and yet it is not Jesus living in them, doing his work. It is possible for people to speak in his name, declare in his name, and exercise great power in his name, and yet it is not acceptable to him. Somehow he will be able to derive value Somehow people are freed, they are delivered, and they experience the power of his name. And yet, those works will not authenticate the one who is doing them and speaking in the name of Jesus. Jesus in this chapter will later on speak to his disciples. The world is not going to see me any longer, but you will. And he will go on to say, speaking about the Holy Spirit, then you will understand that it is the Father in me and that it is me in you. Now, we noted last week in our study that Jesus will again speak in those terms when he prays for his disciples 
in chapter 17. So just as the Father is in Jesus doing his works, so we must be certain that it is Jesus in us doing his works. For again, it is possible for people to do work in the name of Jesus, for that work to be supernatural, and for that work to be beneficial to the person who is the recipient. And yet, for Jesus to reject the person through whom that work is being done, because they are not truly in him. And so Jesus wants his disciples to truly understand this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they are going to do greater works. And they are going to be able to do greater works because he has gone back to the Father. And he has sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working through them. And it will be easy for them, as it is for many people today, to get their eyes off of Jesus and to live apart from Jesus. Somehow still able to do things in his name, and yet not to truly be in him. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand that they must be certain that they are in him just as he is in the Father and the Father is in him. Again, it is easy for people to look at works and to make that the conclusive evidence. And yet the entire world is going to be deceived during the time of the Antichrist. Because the false prophet will do many miraculous signs and wonders and will deceive the entire world and cause them to worship the Antichrist, leading them astray from Jesus, leading them to eternal damnation. It is this understanding that you may know and understand that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. As we have previously stated, that determines our viability as followers of Jesus Christ and our ability to reveal him to this world with an effectiveness that transforms lives. The disciples did not do miracles to be acclaimed. They did not do miracles so that people would say, wow. Remember that Jesus did many, many miracles, and yet people chose not to believe in him. People themselves experienced the benefit of Jesus' miraculous, miracle-working ability. 
and yet they never came to saving faith in him. When, when the disciples did miracles, it was out of a life that was surrendered to Jesus, a life that was exclusive. It was out of a testimony that was exclusive. Peter would declare, salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name given by which we can be saved. And when the disciples were beaten for maintaining that exclusive proclamation that no one can be right with God except by believing in the testimony of Jesus Christ. When they were persecuted, when they were beaten, they rejoiced that they had been found worthy. That their testimony was so convincing and convicting that it resulted in that kind of backlash, that kind of response. So once again, Jesus is setting this paradigm for his disciples. You and I have long seen people emphasizing miracles, asking, believing, naming, claiming. None of those things are an end in themselves that bring conclusive validation. It is this evidence of Christ within. Why did the Father send the Son? Why was the Son so particular in living in submission to the Father and doing the Father's will? Because he was the only hope of salvation. The Father had sent his exclusive and his only word. Nothing else would be said. Nothing else could be done. It was this way or there was no other way. Jesus said something interesting to those 72 before he sent them out. The 72 who rejoiced in the works, but whom Jesus reminded, rejoice in this, that your name is written down in heaven. Jesus said this to them. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. The Father sent Jesus as the exclusive way. To reject Jesus is to reject the Father. To reject the words of Jesus is to reject the words of the Father. 
And then it comes to you and me. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever listens to you, listens to me. We have been called to this life in Christ. And we have been called to a place where he is so revealed in us that we can truly become the way of eternal life for other people. The salvation of the world was dependent upon Jesus doing the work of the Father and revealing the will of the Father. Jesus had to fulfill every aspect of the law. He had to live as the lamb that was without blemish in order to make his life an acceptable sacrifice to the Father. The Father was at work in Jesus, revealing Jesus as the exclusive way. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, but now a righteousness from God has appeared. A righteousness capable of making us right with God, acquitting us of our sins, and making us acceptable, justified by the Father. Jesus had to live such a life in the Father so that the Father's desire of salvation and reconciliation could be accomplished. And you and I are called to present Jesus in such a way to live a life in Christ and allowing him to live in us through our surrender and our obedience. That the world sees him. That they see him as the only way because he is so revealed in our lives and that they come to him. The world's salvation hung on Jesus finishing the work that the Father had sent him to do. The salvation of others hangs on us doing the work that Jesus has sent us to do. What do we ask in his name? We ask what he would ask. We ask that the Father would be in us. We ask that the Father would reveal Jesus through us. We ask that we would become more like Jesus. We ask that we would be more surrendered. We ask that our lives would bear greater fruit. What would Jesus ask? He wouldn't ask a lot of things that some preachers tell us that we can ask. He would ask for what would reveal that the Father was in him, enabling him to finish the work that the Father had given him to do.
So what should you and I ask? What will bring greatest glory to the Father? Asking what Jesus would ask. That our lives would not in any way reflect that we are our own, but that we are his. That we exclusively belong to him. And when we speak to this world, our words would carry the weight of the indwelling Christ. His anointing and his power. Presenting to them this ultimatum that he is the one and the only way. That by believing in him, one has eternal life. But rejecting him, one loses for eternity. May you and I desire the kind of exclusiveness that Jesus is presenting to his disciples here. The Apostle Paul was able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. May you and I follow Christ in such a way that the world truly sees he is the one and only way. That there is no other life for us except him. And there is no other way for them except through him. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray in your name that through the Holy Spirit tonight who reveals you and testifies and takes your words and reminds us that we would hear your emphasis earnestly, almost pleadingly, and that we would understand what you are teaching us tonight. We pray like David prayed that you would search us and you would know our every thoughts. You would know whether or not we have anxious thoughts, whether or not we have offensive ways within us. We pray that you would cleanse us, that you would sanctify us. For we understand as we hear the words of Jesus that there must not be anything in us that is not born of you and that does not reveal you. We want more of you. And so we come to you and surrender tonight. We come to you asking that you would work in our lives and take greater possession, bring greater dependence, that your presence would dwell in us in such an exclusive way that the world will understand that you are the final word and you are the only hope for them. 
We thank you for your word tonight. May it richly dwell in each of our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <music>